Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. Dr. Bandy Lee will be with us, a clinical professor at the Yale School of Medicine, forensic psychiatrist at the Yale University School of Medicine, co-founder of the World Mental Health Coalition and author of The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump. And I've got a couple of events coming up that I just wanted to mention to you very, very quickly. Next week, Tuesday, February 2nd, David Corton and I will be participating in a conversation about my new book, The Hidden History of American Oligarchy. And this book comes out, it literally is available next Tuesday. That's the the date that it will appear in your mailbox if you've pre-ordered one. And it's going to be a fascinating time. That's at Powell's, powells powells.com. You've got to register for it. It's a live stream event. Also, Two days after that, on February 4th, I'll be doing a Town Hall Seattle virtual event. And then the following week, on February 9th, David Corton and I will again be in conversation about the hidden history of American oligarchy at uh, a Books and Books virtual event. All of those events you can find online. You can find links to all of them over at TomHartman.com. So, all that out of the way, it's time for our National Progressive Town Hall meeting. And with us, our old buddy, Congressman Mark Pocan. He will be taking your calls. Congressman Pocan represents the 2nd District of Wisconsin in the U.S. House of Representatives. He's a member and in leadership of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. And just an all-around great guy. His website is pocan, P-O-C-A-N.house.gov. You can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan, Congressman Pocan. Welcome back. Before we start taking calls here, what's on your mind today? Congressman Pocan, what's up? Well, you know, today is one week since Joe Biden became president, and i got to admit I'm very impressed with the uh, rate and the type of executive orders he's acting on. He's showing that you know he's not a newbie. He knows what he's doing. He's not a rookie when it comes to uh, federal government. And because of it, we're seeing some really good actions happening. And I'm really heartened by what I'm seeing. And we're going to have a bunch of climate change actions that look to be good and sound. And it's so gratifying to have this past week compared to the last four years, Tom. Yeah, it really and truly is. And, you know, I back during the primaries, I was kind of skeptical about Joe Biden. But I, I got to tell you, he has stepped up to the plate in a way that really impresses me. 
And I hope it can continue, and I hope that Leader Schumer can find some steel in his spine and take on Mitch McConnell. So uh, you want to pick up some phone calls here? Sure, absolutely. All righty, let's go for it. Virginia in Bassett, Virginia, you are on the air with Representative Pocan. Good morning, Tom and Representative Pocan. Could you introduce legislation requiring all federal candidates running for office to provide their income tax returns before they can run? That's a good idea, you know, especially at the presidential level, right, where it was always pro forma until this last president. Virginia from Virginia, which I won't forget. That's a great idea. You've got me working on something in my office. I think it would make sense to make sure, at least at the presidential level, that everyone have to do what we always had as a norm previously. So thank you for that, Virginia. John in Monroe, Wisconsin. You're on the air with Representative Pocan. Hi, fellows. Hi, Mark. I hope you're doing well. And my question is in regard to Senators Manchin and Cinema. And that is, is that I wrote a letter to my friends saying that I thought democracy was hanging by a thread and that I hoped it was not conservative Democrats that cut it. And currently, I just wonder what ideas you might have for talking these folks down off the ledge. And yeah. So, Tom, Monroe's in my district, so this is always great to have a constituent calling in. I get a lot of people telling me they listen to your show. It's always great when they call in. So thanks for that, John. You know, the difficulty we're going to have, and this is going to be repeated, is we have a 50-50 Senate with a deciding vote of the vice president. But any one Democratic senator, whether it be a more conservative senator, like the names you just mentioned, or any a lobbyist who gets to someone and gets in their ear, can really screw things up. So, you know, that's why I've been especially impressed that Joe Biden's moved aggressively forward with executive orders. Because as much as I want the legislative process to work, I understand the federal legislative process doesn't always work like we all would like it to, and especially with a 50-50 margin, that could really be a problem, even for things that should be no-brainer issues to most all of us who are Democrats. But I think, you know, the pressure will have to come from their constituents more than anything. So hopefully people in Arizona and West Virginia will reach out to those two that you mentioned, and probably a few others, and really put the pressure on them to do the right thing, because we can't lose these two years. I think, you know, we've got to be very aggressive in acting to help people. And so far, we're doing that. And the president's certainly doing that with executive orders. But if we take our foot off the gas pedal, we risk a lot, not just in terms of help for the American people, but politically in terms of 2022. Jessica in Chicago, here on the air with Representative Pocan. Hi, gentlemen. What is this country coming to when the Proud Boys call Trump a total failure? And they say Trump's a shrill and Trump's weak. And the 45 Republican senators say hail Emperor Trump, as the Proud Boys used to say. The Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers, the Three Percenters are all criticizing Trump on Telegram. And the senators can't stand up. And even my husband's Republican side that voted for Trump, they want him impeached. These 45 senators don't even care that Trump played funeral for a friend when the mob marched for to get Pence. I'm astounded at these 45. What is wrong with this country? Thanks. Thanks. Jessica, is there a question in there for Congressman Pocan? Yes, yes. 
I think that they there, there needs to be more out there. They need to say, look, the Proud Boys can stand against Trump now. What is your problem, senators? What is wrong with you? I, I just think okay. it needs to get out there more. Okay. Yep, let's get the response. Yeah, Jessica, I think what you raised, and, and this is probably the most significant part of it, is there's going to be a civil war within the Republican Party. You're watching people who a few weeks ago were willing to stand up to him, unfortunately got back home and had enough Republicans tell them that they still like Donald Trump. And we're seeing that in some of the polling. But at the same time, he doesn't have his reach anymore with social media. But there's definitely going to be a civil war of all these people who want to be president in four years who are starting their campaigns. Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz, Tom Cotton and others. But there really is a fight for the soul of their party. They became a soulless political party when they became a cult under Donald Trump, and now they have to figure out what they are or what they're going to be. So continue to watch this, and you're going to see this, and it's going to be depressing because clearly uh, we should make sure this person can never run for president again. But there's some other ways we can do it, Jessica. So depending what happens with impeachment, stay tuned. You think the 14th Amendment uh, might be used? I think that's another option that absolutely should be in play if uh, they decide to play politics on impeachment. And, you know, I think everything should still be on the table because he's a a danger to democracy, not just the Republican Party. They know that. Yeah, I'm with you. Representative Mark Pocan in our progressive national town hall meeting. You can help America return to democracy by telling friends and family how to listen to this and other great progressive programs. Tag, you're it. Pam in Everett, Washington. You're on the air with Representative Pocan. Hi. Good morning to you both. I'm calling about the Electoral College, which has shown itself to be a danger to democracy. This antiquated, ridiculous decision that was made, as I understand it, for non-democratic reasons. We've all seen what it can actually do. We've all seen the impact it can have. And it scares the heck out of me. And I'm just, I know there's got to be a constitutional amendment. I don't think the national popular vote, I mean, that could blow up if we get a governor who decides to claim fraud. They could throw it to Congress. And it's the first time that I think the whole, we've all seen what it really entails. And I'm just hoping, uh, Representative Pocan, that you could say, yeah, we could do a constitutional amendment for that. Yeah, I agree with you for slightly different reasons. I mean, for me, I think prior to take Donald Trump out of the equation, there's a problem with the Electoral College, right? We had two recent elections where the person who got the most votes by people didn't become president because of the Electoral College. So I do think we have to open up that debate and have a serious conversation about it. I think, though, we diminish it if we open it up around Donald Trump at all. I think we should just really talk about the reality that, you know, whoever gets the most votes should be winning elections, and there has to be a better model. I think also, don't forget, we are going to be and have introduced a bill to make D.C. a state, and there's going to be things like that as well that we're going to be putting forth. And there's H.R. 1 coming, which is the single most comprehensive campaign finance, elections, and ethics reform bill ever introduced into Congress and passed in the House of Representatives. You know, again, that 50-50 margin in the Senate, so we're going to see how that could affect it, but this is an important bill to move forward. So I agree with you. Let's have that conversation, but let's do it in the global way, that there's been multiple elections where the person who got the most votes didn't win, and that's the issue. Curtis in Green Bay, Wisconsin, you're on the air with Representative Pocan. Why can't Trump just be tried in an actual court of law instead of the Senate? 
Good question. Well, in a national court of law, I mean, it'd be different than what we're doing right now through the impeachment process, right? The impeachment process is set up specifically to make sure that you can't have uh, a president be a danger to the country. It's separate from maybe crimes that Donald Trump may also have committed, but there's different bars when you go into that legal court system. No question, I think he's going to be facing some trials, especially around his taxes, probably in New York and, and other things that he's broken the law on. But if we want to do what uh, impeachment was intended for, which is to protect the country, not any individual president, that's why we're exploring that right now and having the Senate hopefully take a serious exploration of it. If not, we will have to revisit things for the 14th Amendment. But he can still face other uh, crimes through uh, the normal court system. But impeachment is unique to what we're trying to accomplish to make sure that future presidents can't do this and serve in office again. And we'll be right back with more of your calls for Congressman Mark Pocan. Representative Mark Pocan taking your calls. And Phyllis in Philadelphia, you are on the air with Representative Pocan. Good afternoon, gentlemen. A quick funny, Mark, before my question. My daughter saw your name and said, well, I'm certainly glad he's not Mark Pocant. <laughs> Cute. <laughs> yeah, um, you and Tom have discussed the so-called Medicare Advantage program. And my suggestion mm-hmm. when you are doing health care legislation is that you put in a proviso that no new policies can be written for Medicare Advantage. Keep the ones, the, the people who have it, so they won't have a conniption fit, but have no new policies, and that will kill it slowly and put the money back in the Medicare program. You know, Phyllis, Tom and I have had some offline conversations on this as well, and we're meeting in my office to talk about some legislation for the coming session. And I will bring up the general subject. I think there's a lot more that has to be explored within it, but this is something that I think, you know, we need to have some changes. And now that we've got Democratic control in the House in the Senate, albeit tight in both houses, this may be a good time for that reform. So thank you for your suggestion. Chip in Lawrence, Kansas. You're on the air with Representative Pocan. Uh, good day, gentlemen. Congressman Pocan, I'm wondering if Louis DeJoy can be held criminally responsible, you know, go on trial for destruction of government property and election interference, which I think he really should be. Yeah, Chip, I mean, you can be potentially, I suppose, charged for anything. The thing is, I think it'd be difficult for him in that he had the authority to dismantle equipment in his role. So that would be probably pretty difficult. And by the time the election came around, we had fixed most of what he had tried to do. No question, he had tried to make it difficult. What he really did is he screwed up the holidays quite a bit, and packages were slowed down and and other things that just made the post office look like they weren't doing a good job, when in reality it was caused damage caused within by him. So I'm not sure if, if there would actually be a way to charge him, but certainly we have to treat the post office differently. we got to get rid of this ridiculous 75-year prepayment uh, of employee benefits into the future. No other agency or company uh, does anything like that. And uh, we need to treat uh, it with the respect it deserves because it's mentioned in the Constitution. It has that much importance to this nation, and I think we have to give it its due diligence. Douglas in Dewey, Arizona, you're on the air with Representative Pocan. Yeah, um, my question was, is there anywhere that we're working on the COVID vaccine, you know, producing it 24-7 and distributing it 24-7 and, you know, giving vaccines 24-7? And I'll take your question off here. 
Yeah, Douglas. So I think you brought up something that, you know, is really important. I don't think it's been talked about enough. Donald Trump has screwed up many things in this country, including in the entire way he dealt with COVID. But he also screwed up the vaccine distribution. And the fact that we don't even know how many vaccines we have and that there's no federal plan has put us even at more of a disadvantage, which, again, is going to cost a lot of lives. And, you know, I'm just beside myself on how awful uh, he's been and what this has meant. The good news is Joe Biden originally said he was going to have a a million uh, doses a day for the first 100 days. He now upped that to a million and a half. More vaccines are potentially coming to market, which I think they will be approved. And he's using the Defense Production Act to do things like produce a new needle, that a special needle can get six doses instead of five out of a vial for, I believe it's the Pfizer vaccine, which gives us a 16% increase in, in what we might be able to do. So I think he is on top of it. I love seeing Dr. Fauci saying what he wants to say instead of being guarded and having Trump contradict him later. But I think everything is happening. But I agree with you. You know, I think we've got to make sure that we're doing everything possible to get the vaccines out as fast as possible. And I heard a little bit of the press conference. And, you know, now we got to deal a little bit with possibly the variant that's coming out of South Africa. But I'm glad we've got real science professionals in charge. Carol in Valencia, California. Yes, we have a congressman here, Mike Garcia, where there are three pictures of him with people the day or the day before the insurrection outside of Congress. He was military. Could he possibly be investigated? Because there's a picture of him schmoozing with the, one of those crazy, the congresswoman who's Arizona Congresswoman, you know. Okay, let's get the answer here, Carol. We're running out of time. Thank you. Yeah. Can he be investigated? Yeah, I think, Carol, let me just say this. I was on about a three-hour hearing yesterday with appropriations with police force, National Guard, Army about what happened on January 6th, and they are investigating everything. I think there's hundreds of people they looked at, and we sent a strong message. Make sure you prosecute. It's important because I know there's some debate supposedly going on. I think they'll do due diligence in making sure anyone who's complicit will be uh, responsible. Great. We're here on the Tom Hartman Program, our National Progressive Town Hall meeting. We'll be right back. We're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Back with more of your calls for Congressman Pocan in just a moment. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance, so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. 
Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. And welcome back. Representative Mark Pocan taking your calls here today. And let's see here. Jeff in Port St. Lucie, Florida. You are on the air with Representative Pocan. Hello, Congressman. Tom, hope all's well. Congressman, I know they're going through a civil war in the Republican Party, but I hope they don't bring us down with them. Quick question to both of you. Since the Republicans, obviously, with the vote in the Senate, are getting out of voting for indictment due to the fact that this is unconstitutional because Donald Trump is no longer in office. Why can't we send this question up to the Supreme Court and have them respond to it, if they accept it, for the trial? If they, if they mention or if they confirm that it is constitutional, then the, the Republicans have no excuse. If they say it's unconstitutional, then we should drop the indictment on it all its own. I just have that question. So a couple off the top of my head observations on that, Jeff. One, um, I don't know if the Supreme Court is, is a court I'd want to be testing something with, given that Donald Trump appointed three of the justices. And two, you know, we already have proof. Uh, we've done this in the past in history, not with the president, but someone else was impeached. They'll just find another reason. You know, they're never going to accept culpability. They're going to say it's, they're not going to do it because it's too divisive for the country and we need to move on. They're going to say whatever else. I mean, you know, Mitch McConnell, you know, is full of excuses because he's afraid of Donald Trump's supporters. And, and that's what's really going on. But, you know, I still think, you know, as more information comes out, we still have some room around some 14th Amendment ways to try to make it so this president isn't able to do further damage to this democracy. So I think we should just hang tight through that a little bit. But I'm not sure if the path I would take it to is the Supreme Court. Marty in Evergreen Park, Illinois. You're on the air with Representative Pocan. Hi, Tom. Thank you for taking my call. And Congressman, greetings from the state just south of you. Um, I have an issue I'd like to bring awareness to and get your thoughts on. Um, I'm a dad of four. I lost my job of seven years in the tech industry in the layoff wave in the third quarter of 2019, mm-hmm. right right when the trade war was peaking, literally right before the pandemic. So I've been job hunting and collecting unemployment all last year during the shutdown, and I was granted federal assistance after my state unemployment expired. Thus, my federal unemployment expired at the end of November, a month before the December 26 days that most others, you know, talk about, which left me unable to pay bills or mortgage or get any Christmas presents or do anything in the month of December or this month. I was abruptly cut off and still certifying but not getting funds. So the state is saying that since I did not earn wages beyond fourth quarter 2019, I'm no longer eligible for a federal continuance of those benefits and the job market is still completely destroyed where I'm at. You know, my kids are not back in school, etc. It would save my life right now and I can only presume others in my situation if there can be an extension of federal pandemic unemployment that uses the same benefit rate that was being paid before the benefits expired, back payment of those benefits to when those unemployment benefits expired and count the base payment, unemployment base payments, you know, as the base payments to which those will be paid. I mean, is there any way to get this added? I, I feel like Princess Leia putting the message in the droid, like, you're my only hope, like, this needs to happen. 
Yeah, no, I hear you. And unfortunately, I mean, you know, every state, you're following some of their systems. And some states obviously have better systems than others. In Wisconsin, you know, we were operating off a decades-old software that caused a lot of delays because Republicans generally across the country don't like unemployment, so they don't fund it. And there's a lot of problems in this area. I think we're going to learn a little more as we move forward on reconciliation, what we can do with unemployment. We know that because the extension of benefits ends mid-March, we have to do something. And likely it's reconciliation. It's a budget process that allows us to get things done with 50 votes in the Senate as opposed to 60 votes. So right now those conversations are happening. They just changed our calendars to be in more uh, between now and mid-March to make sure we can get it done for that. So let me see what we can do, Marty. But, you know, some of it may be complicated by individual state laws. But let me pass that along as we're trying to explore through reconciliation what we can do. Marty, it might also be well served by contacting his state representative, his state senator, and the governor's office in Illinois, right? Absolutely, especially you have Democratic control down there, so this may be something that they can potentially accomplish at the state level. So, you know, and and it is a state and federal problem in some of these. I mean, in Wisconsin, we've had some real problems on unemployment because of that antiquated system. So I would just recommend trying that. And also contact your member of Congress and your senator as well, as we're moving forward, but I I will definitely try to get this included in any conversation. Daniel in Brooklyn, New York, you're on the air with Representative Pocan. Hey guys, how you doing? So I just have a question in regards to like labor unions and um, warehouse manufacturers distributing stuff like they did in the Midwest a long time ago. Is that something that's going to be pushed back into the agenda for the American people? Absolutely. In fact, I am the founder of a labor caucus. We started this session, and we already have 90 members, and we wound up having six chairs because we had other people also very interested in doing something similar. So we're trying to be a very big tent around those issues. Joe Biden has been very open to what he can do, especially with through the Department of Labor and executive orders on this. But we have PROACT to deal with. We have the minimum wage to deal with. The PROACT is the most comprehensive labor bill that's kind of mainstreamed right now that we can put out there to try to correct many of the problems that currently exist, although it does not correct hard check, I will mention that. Also, there's a pension bill that Bobby Scott, the chair of the Education and Labor Committee, is putting forward that will likely find some commonality among unions as opposed to some of the previous pension bills. So these are all going to be moving early in Congress. The fact that they're being introduced early means that they have a better chance to get some action. So yes, uh, I think you're going to find working people and uh, labor at the forefront on many issues, including an infrastructure package, which I also envision coming up. Michael in Bronx, New York, here on the air with Representative Pocan. Hi, Representative. Hello, Tom. My question concerns what happened at the January 6th Capitol siege and the fact that Rand Paul was saying that impeaching Trump is unconstitutional after they all faced the same grave danger. So my question is, will you and the other House Democrats be investigating and possibly subpoenaing your um, congressional colleagues in this in terms of getting down to if there was indeed an inside job and why it's such a cover-up for Trump and, you know, blocking this impeachment proceedings? Yeah, Mike, I, I subpoenas might be a little early where we're at. Right now, the Capitol Police, the D.C. Police, the Secret Service, Department of Justice, I'm forgetting a few other agencies, are all looking at this. We had eight or ten people present to us on appropriations yesterday 
and it's very early in that stage and i had raised some concerns of things that i've heard and they couldn't give me a lot yet because they're in that investigation stage so i think that's going to proceed first and then from there other things could happen but the good news is you know we feel very confident that they're doing that the only concern i I really expressed and i think a number of us expressed is there is some reporting that you know how many people they actually wind up arresting or or finding you know may be at debate and and we think you have to be very serious and prosecute as much as possible on this you know 9-11 we're all going to remember forever in our lives those of us who experienced it but also january 6 2021 is the first time in 200 years there was an attack that breached our U.S. Capitol, and it wasn't by a foreign government. It was by domestic terrorism. So we absolutely have to take this as seriously as possible. Devin in Denver, Colorado, you're on the air with Representative Pocan. Hi. I just want to talk to you about Supreme Court justices and term limits. If you thought maybe 18-year term limits with the justices staggered every two years, might be something that could get bipartisan support or might be something that would have a chance of getting passed. Yeah, I think the proposal that I've seen has been 25 years. I could be wrong on that, but I think that's what's been out there. I I never saw this as the fix that some people, I think, professed it to be. You know, if people want to change how we appoint Supreme Court justices and have a a staggered process and and something like that, I think that's worthy of debate. But I don't know if it'll solve some of the things that, you know, I think people are thinking. It's not like, you know, in, um, was it my Big Fat Greek Wedding or whatever that movie is, I'm chair- I'm, I'm ruining the name where uh, the guy used Windex for everything because that was the solution for mm-hmm. everything. I don't know if uh, just having term limits and, and 18 or 25-year terms for the Supreme Court would be the fix that we need. There could be some other things uh, that don't allow senators to abuse the process like we've seen happen both uh, by appointing someone at the end of a presidential term and then not for someone else. So I, I think there's other ways we can look at it. Do you see any motion on anything like this happening in the House? I haven't seen it. I mean, there's so much we have to do right now to fix the last four years. It, mm-hmm. it may be discussed by some committees, but I don't see it as a top shelf list right now as we're dealing with COVID, the economy, and fixing all the things that Donald Trump did in the last four years. Yeah, I'm with you. We'll be back with more of your calls in our progressive national town hall meeting right after this. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Representative Pocan's website, Pocan, P-O-C-A-N dot house dot gov. You can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. On the Science Revolution, Dr. Justin A. Frank is here on the psychology of mob mentality and violence. What propels a mob? Dr. Sam Metz, a member of Mad as Hell Doctors, drops by on the need for federal legislation to allow individual states to create true statewide universal health care plans, especially single-payer plans. Plus, in geeky science, I've discovered how 11 minutes can save the quality of your life. Tune into the Science Revolution wherever fine podcasts are available. Arthur in Ontario, California. You are listening to KPFK. You're on the air with Rep. Pocan. Hi there. Thanks for taking my call, Tom and, and Congressman Pocan. My question is that the, the Marine Carbon Project in California has shown by adding compost just one time to farmlands, forests, and rangeland that it drastically increases its water retention and its ability to sequester carbon. I'm wondering what can be done to create not only an infrastructure program, but a green jobs program where we can pay people to do socially distanced outdoor jobs to add compost, to collect food waste, to create soil and add 
more compost to farmlands across the country and regenerate our soil, sequester carbon, and address climate change while putting people back to work? I'll take the answer off the air. Thanks so much. Yeah, Arthur, I, I think let me answer it in a little bit more of a 30,000 foot is, you know, part of what we're doing right now, the Select Congressional Committee on Climate Change is still meeting. But I think you bring up a, a really great point, which is as we look at anything around uh, infrastructure and climate change, we should remember uh, things like the agricultural community and uh, our rural communities because it's going to be vital. Um, you know, those communities are hurting some of the most because of uh, decades along of losing jobs that have gone overseas in many of my rural parts of my district, and I have many rural parts. I live in a rural part of my district. Uh, you have an agrarian economy, and if you don't have a broadband and a post office, you can't even have your home base business anymore. And I think anything that can help us uh, to not only create jobs towards something innovative like you're talking about and also help that agricultural community um, that benefits the climate is a win-win-win. And uh, I hope that the groups that are looking at this uh, are looking at measures just like you mentioned. Tom in Temecula, California, you're on the air with Representative Pocan. Good morning, gentlemen. I'd like to hear both to comment about this. But with so many Republicans believing the, the big lie about the election, uh, a way to get people on the record is have the impeachment managers call all the senators who were actually witnesses to the insurrection as witnesses and put them under oath and ask them directly, was the election free and fair? And did they know of any state where it was a fraud? And use that against them and for, by Democrats to uh, help convince all these Republicans that it is a big lie and that, in fact, the election is legitimate. Yeah, I, I'm not exactly sure what their strategy will be. I doubt that is the strategy because I think, you know, the word you used that was imperative is whether or not they believe the election is a lie. I don't think the vast majority of them uh, think the election was a lie, hence why only six people, I think, in the end voted to overturn state's electors. And, you know, this is the rhetoric that Donald Trump put out there over and over and over and over, and he has some of his supporters who believe it, but, you know, people who actually understand the process really don't, except for those who are trying to gain the support of some of Donald Trump's supporters. So I don't know if that would be the magic tool to accomplish what we're trying to accomplish, but I definitely do think we need to have more pushback for those who believe Donald Trump to put the facts out there, because this is what he's he's tried to do for the last two months. Back with more of your calls for Representative Mark Pocan. His website, Pocan, P-O-C-A-N.house.gov. You can tweet him at Rep Mark Pocan. We'll be right back. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. 
Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is R.I.P. G.O.P., How the New America is Dooming the Republicans by Stanley B. Greenberg. This is from the introduction. This book tells an amazing story, and if you hadn't seen what happened to America over the last four years, you wouldn't believe it. It even has a happy ending that's none too soon for all of those of us who've had enough fighting, division, and enough politics. This time, the end of politics portends a country united and finally liberated from gridlock to address the nation's most serious problems. It ends with the death of the Republican Party as we've known it while the survivors work to recreate the party of Lincoln, relevant for our times. It ends with a Democratic Party liberated from the nation's suffocating polarization to use government to advance the public good, as the country used to expect. You see, our country is hurtling toward a new America that is ever more racially and culturally diverse, younger, millennial, more secular and unmarried, with fewer traditional families and male breadwinners, more immigrant and foreign-born who are more concentrated in the growing metropolitan areas, which are magnets for investment and for people. The new America encompasses a vast array of family types and working families in which both the men and women face growing challenges. The new America is ever more racially blended and multinational, more secular and religiously pluralistic. The new America embraces the country's immigrant and foreign character, it now includes the college-educated and suburban women who want respect and equality in a multicultural America. America was shaped by major social movements, civil unrest, political battles, and government action at historic junctures, and by the choices the two national political parties took that created a more modern America. Each moved America away from traditional strictures on blacks, women, and immigrants. Each juncture made America freer, more equal, and more democratic. With the Democratic Party on a trajectory that aligned Democrats with the country's emerging civic norms and alienated the Republican Party from the country and from itself. America was changed profoundly by the battle to pass the civil rights laws that ended racial segregation and ensured blacks had the right to vote. Bipartisan immigration laws reopened the country to non-Anglo-Saxon immigration in 1965 and greatly expanded it in the late 1980s. The Supreme Court put women on a path to greater independence and equality when it declared in 1965 that women have a right to privacy and birth control, and in 1973 when it made abortion legal. And these different choices came to fruition with the election and re-election of Barack Obama, the first African-American president whose activist government produced a Tea Party movement and revolt that accelerated the polarization of the country and made attributes about race and immigration matter as never before. The Tea Party and Donald Trump battled to stop history and stop government. At each juncture, the Democrats were deeply divided, sometimes more than the Republicans. This was true on matters of civil rights, immigration, and abortion. Nonetheless, after these defining social issues were settled in law or by the U.S. Supreme Court, National Democratic leaders embraced and defended the social changes and new freedoms that aligned the party with a modernizing America and its values. 
After more than five decades of such choices, the Democratic Party is associated with equal rights, equality, gender equality, tolerance, openness to diversity, and more. The Republicans' electoral base was in the South and later in the Appalachian Valley and rural states across the country, so at each juncture they escalated their battle against these national changes. The party's national leaders ignored their own deep divisions and worked inventively to show they were champions of white people during the battle over civil rights and affirmative action. Its leaders scorned the sexual revolution and championed to this day a constitutional amendment to make abortion illegal. They were opposed to women breaking free of the patriarchal family and winning equality. They mobilized against illegal immigration in the states and nationally fueled by Patrick Buchanan's three campaigns for president. Newt Gingrich led a revolution in the early 1990s that put the GOP into a total war footing against the Democratic Party, determined to expand the liberal welfare state and marginalize conservatism. But those forces defeated him. The Tea Party led the GOP's life-and-death battle against President Obama and his Affordable Care Act, fueled by Tea Party protests that elevated white racial resentment and hostility to immigrants. Defeating and delegitimizing President Obama was the last chance to stop the new America from winning. Obama's 2008 election, the Wall Street bailout, and the searing battle to pass Obamacare produced the Tea Party revolt and the Tea Party wave election of 2010, the most consequential election of our lifetime. It gave the Tea Party-fueled Republican Party effective control of the U.S. House and Senate, two-thirds of the governorships, and more than 60% of the state legislative chambers, which rushed to radically redraw the legislative and congressional maps to ensure big GOP majorities for a decade. The Tea Party-led GOP pushed the country into fiscal austerity and to deconstruct government to stop Democrats from using government for positive ends or paying off its growing coalition with new entitlements. The book R.I.P. GOP. Representative Mark Pocan taking your calls. George in Garden City, Kansas. You're on the air with Rep Pocan. Yes. Uh, my question is, with the new administration and a little more power in the Senate, is there any chance of uh, removing the cap on Social Security or at least maybe getting a raise in the future? I'll take your response off the air. Thank you. George, I hope so. I don't have anything to point to that directly from a statement from Joe Biden in the last several weeks. But, um, you know, we had, I think, uh, well over 200 House Democrats on a bill to do just that, to adjust the cap so that people who make more money are paying more into Social Security and also to increase the payout. You know, we, we tie our the increase of uh, Social Security to the Consumer Price Index, which uh, focuses heavily on things like gasoline prices and not on things like medications that seniors spend, uh, I think, something like 25% of their income on is what we've seen in some modeling. So because of that, um, you know, seniors often are, are losing the battle even in those increases. So we've had a bill that John Larson from Connecticut introduced. A lot of us, including myself, are on the bill. And uh, I hope that can be a part of any conversation because it's one of the most valued federal programs we have. And if we did something to improve it, uh, certainly people's lives would be improved. And we need to do that uh, swiftly as Democrats. Ray in Costa Mesa, California, you are on the air with Representative Pocan. Good day, gentlemen. My question has to do with the filibuster. And is there a way we could get Leader Schumer to allow the filibuster to remain 
but require people to present their case against it. After the case has been presented, a vote must happen. I think I said that right. Yeah. In other words, kind of time limit the filibuster. Well, not so much a time limit as present your case against it, but once we're done, we're going to vote on it. Okay. Got it. Yeah, I I think there's a lot of potential reforms that will be discussed, Ray, because, you know, right now there's at least one or two people on the Democratic side who don't seem to want to be willing to change filibuster. And if you don't, that's going to affect what they can get done in the Senate. Now, again, budget reconciliation, when there's a fiscal impact, we do have a way to get to 50 votes, which is a big, important uh, measure. And I think you're going to hear more of it as we move towards that mid-March deadline on, on unemployment insurance. Um, but there are probably going to be a lot of different ideas proposed in order to try to bring uh, the votes they need. So I, I can't speak specifically to your idea because I, I haven't heard that discussed yet as one of the options. But I, I think, you know, clearly they better have a debate about it because mm-hmm. um, if we don't do everything we can that allows us to act right now, I think we're making lots of mistakes. Jared in Downington, Pennsylvania, you're on the air with Rep. Pocan. Hello, Tom, and hello, Congressman Pocan. I'm calling about what we should do to make sure that Republicans never get power again. And I think we need like a thousand-cut method, be it that we need to make Puerto Rico, Guam, Virgin Islands, uh, Washington, D.C. states. We need to strip the courts of any power whatsoever, be it through legislation, term limits, pack the courts. We need to enfranchise our own voters through, you know, automatic registration, abolish gerrymandering. And honestly, we need to discourage Republicans from voting, honestly. And I'll uh, take this off the queue. Yeah, I'll tell you, the single best thing we can do is act and be decisive and get things done that improve the lives of the American people. And while the Republican Party is going to have this inner struggle over whether they're a cult of Donald Trump still or a conservative political party or whatever they could morph to, that's not going to help them moving forward. We just need to get things done, help people. You know, let's let's uh, help improve Social Security. Let's raise the minimum wage. Let's uh, deal with climate change. Let's uh, pass an infrastructure package. Let's get vaccines out. If we do that, that is the single strongest thing we can do to remain uh, in power because we show that we're able to govern and we're getting things done decisively. So um, that's my first and best suggestion. I, I agree with many things you said we should do, um, but I don't think that the goal should be, you know, to, to provide D.C. statehood just for that. And there's a lot of reasons why D.C. should have statehood. But I do think that doing the right thing would be the best thing to advance our goal. And Senator Carper today introduced a bill to provide for D.C. statehood, by the way. It, it's, uh, it's now official. Congressman, we just have 45 seconds. I'm curious your thoughts on what we should be looking at and doing over the course of the next week. You know, a lot of action is going to happen in a little bit of, of time, as I mentioned, because of this budgetary reconciliation process and what we want to get done around COVID. So listen to Tom a lot. And when he gives out the number to call congressional offices, be active in contacting your representatives, because that pressure really does matter. They're getting it from some of the Republicans. They're not going to get it the same way with Donald Trump gone. But we need to put that pressure to have us do the right thing. And uh, a lot's going to happen in these first hundred days. So be extra vigilant and, and double your listening to Tom. Bless you. Thank you, Congressman Pocan. Thanks for dropping by. It's always great talking with you. We really appreciate it. Same here, Tom. Take care. Thank you.
And that number for Congress that Congressman Pocan was just mentioning is 202-224-3121. If you want to call your member of the House of Representatives or either or both of your United States senators, 202-224-3121. You're listening to Tom Hartman. You can find an absolutely fascinating library of my writings, including my daily rants, over at TomHartman.Medium.com. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. On the line with us is Dr. Bandy Lee, Assistant Clinical Professor at the Yale School of Medicine, Forensic Psychiatrist at the Yale University Medical School, co-founder of the World Mental Health Coalition, and editor of the book, The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump. 27 psychiatrists and mental health experts assess the president. The website for that book is dangeruscase.org. And uh, you can follow Dr. Lee at, on Twitter at BandyXLee1. Uh, Bandy actually won. Dr. Lee, welcome back to the program. I'm curious your thoughts. It's been a while since we've talked. Your thoughts on Donald Trump as a cult leader or maybe even, I mean, this authoritarian movement long predates Donald Trump in the United States. How this cult comes about, what are the factors that influence it and how we best deal with it? Yes, thanks for having me back. When we first published The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump in 2017, we were emphasizing that despite its title, Donald Trump was not our main focus. His presidency was a statement about the state of the nation, the state of its public mental health in particular, of which he was a barometer at the time of his election, and then the chief accelerant and exacerbator once he was in office. And so we are seeing the exaggerated effects of what he has accentuated and continues to perpetuate. His personality has become a cult-like figure, as you have noted. And this is what we were warning against when we said his dangers were greater than people were suspecting, that they would grow over time, and that they would spread without containment. Cults are tough things. A very, very close friend of mine used to work with Ted Patrick back in the 80s and 90s, basically uh, deprogramming people who had, you know, gotten into cults. There was a, you know, it was a thing back then. And then he went off and became a super Orthodox Jew uh, and lives in Jerusalem in a Hasidic community. And he's still one of my very best friends. We talk on Skype probably every month. And I once asked him, I said, did you trade, because he started in a cult, but then he got in with Ted and was deprogramming people, and now he's, you know, in this religious group. And I said, you know, did you trade in one cult for another? And he said, he said, well, you know, there is this thing about being a member of a group, you know, and having other people have your back and having a shared worldview and that's real and may or may not be toxic, depending on the circumstances. What are your thoughts on all that? You know, not on religious, whatever you want to call that, but how we deprogram people or how we move them from a toxic cult into a relatively non-toxic cult, like, you know, being a patriotic American. Yes, that's right. These are real human needs that have been exploited and accentuated because of the conditions that have given rise to their distortion in the first place. And so I think you had noted the new book that I have out, Profile of a Nation, Trump's Mind, America's Soul. I had urgently written it over the summer, first 
first to warn the nation that the election was not going to be the end, and secondly, that he was not likely to be removed very easily. That is because we really have to understand the dynamics, not just of Donald Trump, but of his supporters and the nation as a whole, to be able to solve this problem. And it's better that we think of it as an ecology, since, as you see, we don't have the typical conditions of a cult where people are isolated and a personality, a dangerous personality is misleading them and brainwashing them, but rather it's happening nationwide when we have freedom of speech and openness with respect to information and how does this occur? Um, It occurs mainly through a kind of psychological manipulation and we have to recognize the fact that what we're seeing in a vast portion of the American population is not healthy, rational and well-informed decision-making, but rather the pattern of what happens in cults or in abusive relationships where people are cut off from information sources, from access to expertise, and they are insulated from real news sources and led to believing disinformation and fake news as real. And much of this is through psychological techniques. And we have to recognize that this is happening and that we're not really seeing the expressed will of truly healthy thinking. Dr. Leap, my sincere apologies. I did not realize you had a new book out, and I'm so pleased to hear that you do. I'm really looking forward to reading it. Profile of a Nation is the title. Is there a website for it? Yes, you can look it up on my website itself. I have a new website, which is bandylee.com, B-A-N-D-Y-L-E-E.com. Great. And yes, it was published through my organization because we had no time to get a publisher. And as you may or may not know, mental health experts have been excluded largely from the media on speaking about this quite Hmm. systematically. And so I do appreciate your having me on. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, That is, is in itself a symptom of what is happening. Yeah, I agree. And you said one of the characteristics of a cult is that it cuts people off from information. I was talking with a listener who spends a lot of time watching Fox News, and he was pointing out, and I've noticed this too, that there are large chunks of reality that Fox News just doesn't even cover. With regard to Donald Trump and this crisis on January 6th, how do you break through? What should America be doing? What should we all be doing to deal with this cult-slash-mental health crisis that, frankly, it has become widespread in the Republican Party, 80% approval of Donald Trump right now? Yes. So you're correct to identify it as a mental health emergency, in fact. I would say it is the number one emergency of our time. The mental health pandemic is far more harmful and destructive than even the viral pandemic that we're suffering through. So I outlined three steps to improving this, and the cult-like behavior is actually only the tip of the iceberg. And so the first step is to remove the offending agent, which was Donald Trump and his influence. In other words, having a severely symptomatic person, a mentally impaired person in a position of influence was largely responsible for spreading the symptoms. And so his removal from the social media, for example, showed a vast decrease in his influence and also in terms of the spread of fixed false beliefs that we have seen among his followers. But that is not enough. We have to set limits, firm boundaries, which includes 
conviction, prosecution, and truly bringing the whole party back to reality as to what is lawful and unlawful and what is right and wrong and also what is healthy versus mentally compromised. And the second step that I outline is fixing a lot of the disinformation system. And third is to correct the socioeconomic conditions that gave rise to the psychological vulnerability in the first place. Brilliant. I am looking forward to Profile of a Nation at Bandy Lee, B-A-N-D-Y-L-E-E dot com. Uh, Dr. Lee, thanks so much for dropping by. It's always great talking with you. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. The important stuff. Dr. Bandy Lee. In the Tom Hartman University Book Club today, we're reading from Michael Pollan's book, How to Change Your Mind. But the new science of psychedelics teaches us about consciousness, dying, addiction, depression, and transcendence. This is from the prologue titled A New Door. Midway through the 20th century, two unusual new molecules, organic compounds with a striking family resemblance, exploded upon the West. In time, they would change the course of social, political, and cultural history, as well as the personal histories of the millions of people who would eventually introduce them to their brains. As it happened, the arrival of these disruptive chemistries coincided with another world historical explosion, that of the atomic bomb. There were people who compared the two events and made much of the cosmic synchronicity. Extraordinary new energies had been loosed upon the world. Things would never quite be the same. The first of these molecules was an accidental invention of science. Lysergic acid diethylamide, commonly known as LSD, was first synthesized by Albert Hoffman in 1938 shortly before physicists split the atom of uranium for the first time. Hoffman, who worked for the Swiss pharmaceutical firm Sandoz, had been looking for a drug to stimulate circulation, not a psychoactive compound. It wasn't until five years later, when he accidentally ingested a minuscule quantity of the new chemical, that he realized he had created something powerful, at once terrifying and wondrous. The second molecule had been around for thousands of years, though no one in the developed world was aware of it. Produced not by a chemist, by an inconspicuous little brown mushroom, this molecule, which would come to be known as psilocybin, had been used by indigenous peoples of Mexico and Central America for hundreds of years as a sacrament, called Tioanatical by the Aztecs, or Flesh of the Gods. The mushroom was brutally suppressed by the Roman Catholic Church after the Spanish conquest and driven underground. In 1955, 12 years after Albert Hoffman's discovery of LSD, a Manhattan banker and amateur mycologist named R. Gordon Wasson sampled the magic mushroom in the town of Huajalta de Jimenez in the southern Mexican state of Oaxaca. Two years later, he published a 15-page account of the, quote, mushrooms that cause strange visions, end quote, in Life magazine, marking the moment when news of a new form of consciousness first reached the general public. In 1957, knowledge of LSD was mostly confined to the community of researchers and mental health professionals. People would not realize the magnitude of what had happened for several more years, but history in the West had shifted. The impact of these two molecules is hard to overestimate. The advent of LSD can be linked to the revolution in brain science that begins in the 1950s when scientists discovered the role of neurotransmitters in the brain. That quantities of LSD measured in micrograms could produce symptoms resembling psychosis, inspired brain scientists to search for the neurochemical basis of mental disorders 
previously believed to be of psychological origin. At the same time, psychedelics found their way into psychotherapy, where they were used to treat a variety of disorders, including alcoholism, anxiety, and depression. For most of the 1950s and early 60s, many in the psychiatric establishment regarded LSD and psilocybin as miracle drugs. The arrival of these two compounds is also linked to the rise of the counterculture during the 1960s, and perhaps especially to its particular tone and style. For the first time in history, the young had a rite of passage all their own, the acid trip. Instead of folding the young into the adult world, as rites of passage have always done, this one landed them in a country of the mind few adults had any idea even existed. The effect on society was, to put it mildly, disruptive. Yet by the end of the 1960s, the social and political shockwaves unleashed by these molecules seemed to dissipate. The dark side of psychedelics began to receive tremendous amounts of publicity, bad trips, psychotic breaks, flashbacks, suicides. And beginning in 1965, the exuberance surrounding these new drugs gave way to moral panic. As quickly as the culture and the scientific establishment had embraced psychedelics, they now turned sharply against them. By the end of the decade, psychedelic drugs, which had been legal in most places, were outlawed and forced underground. At least one of the 20th century's two bombs appeared to have been diffused. Then something unexpected and telling happened. Beginning in the 1990s, well out of the view of most of us, a small group of scientists, psychotherapists, and so-called psychonauts, believing that something precious had been lost from both science and culture, resolved to recover it. Today, after several decades of suppression and neglect, psychedelics are having a renaissance. A new generation of scientists, many of them inspired by their own personal experience of the compounds, are testing their potential to heal mental illnesses such as depression, anxiety, trauma, and addiction. Other scientists are using psychedelics in conjunction with new brain imaging tools to explore the links between brain and mind, hoping to unravel some of the mysteries of consciousness itself. One good way to understand a complex system is to disturb it and then see what happens. By smashing atoms, a particle accelerator forces them to yield their secrets. By administering psychedelics in carefully calibrated doses, neuroscientists can profoundly disturb the normal waking consciousness of volunteers, dissolving the structures of the self and occasioning what can be described as a mystical experience. How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan. We'll be back with more of the news and more of my thoughts and yours in this uh, kind of national town hall meeting we have here every day on the Tom Hartman program. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Never was intended to be. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 